0: Um, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Genesis Napud. Genesis is like the first book in the Bible. Now, a lot of people, when I visit churches, they ask me this question, so I'm going to save you the trouble. At the end, they ask me, where's Exodus? And I tell them, where's Leviticus? Do you have a brother or sister named Exodus or Leviticus? And I tell them, no, they have normal names. I have a unique name, Genesis. But um, I remember back in seventh grade. You know in seventh grade, you're trying to be cool, you're trying to fit in. You remember those times? You are like 12 or 13 years old. I was trying to fit in, trying to dress like everybody else, trying to be like everybody else. But I remember this so clearly. In seventh grade math class, our counselor comes in and says, you have a new student. And we all turn to look, who is this new student? And it's this girl. She's tall and skinny. We all look. And she says, make her feel welcome. Her name is guess. Genesis. Genesis. And all of a sudden, everybody looks at me. And they start smiling because they're going to tease me for the rest of the school year and for eighth grade and throughout high school and even in college, it still lasts. But um, in case you're wondering, I'm the first of three, hence the beginning of the family. (laughs) And so um, I'm happy to be here today. And as you can see, today's presentation, good it's not upside down, the three most important questions that you will ever ask. The three most important questions that you will ever ask. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning, I pray that your spirit would be with us. I pray that you would speak through me and hide behind the cross, that Christ would be glorified. I know that nobody is here by accident, nobody's listening by accident, but they are here, Lord, to hear your word. Please speak to us individually, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you guys brought your Bibles today. You guys have your Bibles? We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study. But today's presentation is the three most important questions that you will ever ask. Now, that sounds slightly intimidating, doesn't it? The three most important questions that I will ever ask. You might be thinking, well, I can think of more important questions, and maybe you will. But these are three questions that have come to my mind, and I think that depending on how you answer these three questions will help you determine the other questions that you will face in life. Now, in life, there are many questions, right? We have many, many questions, especially for those of you who are students You have many questions that could change your life, right? During finals, depending on how I answer these questions will determine if I will pass or if I will fail, if I will graduate, or I have to take summer school, right? Is the answer A, B, C, D, or all the above? Which one is it? These are important questions. Now let's take it a step further. Some of us here are graduating, right? And you might be asking, well, what's next in life? Where do I see myself in the next five or ten years? Will I still live in Loma Linda? Will I move back home? Will I be out of the country? Will I get married? To whom will I get married? When will that be? Will I have children? Will I live in the city? Many important questions that deserve very good answers. Amen? Now, everybody's answer might be different. We're all different people. But nevertheless, we have to think about this. But today, I want to ask you three questions that are very important. And the first one I want to ask you is, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Now, some of you are probably thinking, I just came from my dorm. I just came from my house five minutes ago. That's where I came from. Or I just came from the lobby. Okay, but in a bigger perspective, where did we as humans come from? Where did we come from? Now, this is very controversial, but not too long ago, There was a debate between, do you guys know who these two are? Who? Ken Ham and who else? Bill Nye, the science guy. When I was growing up, I used to love watching Bill Nye as a kid because he made science fun and interesting. But um, not too long ago, there was this debate, and they were debating over where we came from. Did we come from God, intelligent design, or did we come from evolution, the Big Bang? Now, Bill Nye argues that we came through the Big Bang, that a long, long time ago, perhaps billions of years ago, there was something called the Big Bang, and through this Big Bang, things just came to be. The nitrogen, the hydrogen, the oxygen, and all elements came together and somehow, some way, randomly formed the Earth, the Sun, the Moon, and the stars, and everything that we see today. And through the process of survival of the fittest and evolution, humans came to be. He argues that this world is very old, perhaps millions or even billions of years old. On the other hand, we have Ken Ham, who is a creationist, he's a Christian, and he says that he believes the Bible, and he believes something that we believe as well. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis is a very good book. I really like the book of Genesis. Not just because my name is Genesis, but it's a very good book. Let us go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Our question, our first question is where did we come from? Where did we come from? Genesis chapter 1, we read a familiar verse, chapter 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, who? God. God. So who was at the very beginning of time? God. God. And what did God do? He created heaven and earth. God created heaven and earth, and how did he do it? With his word. word. The Bible says in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, word, and the word was with God, God, and the word was God. God." The Bible says all things were made through the word, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so God created this world by the power of his word, and how long did he do it? In a week, and how long is one week? Okay, six days? Six days? Or seven days, right? He created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, some argue that perhaps God used evolution and creation. That God somehow used evolution to create the world. And this is what we call theistic evolution. But biblically, we know that this is not so. The Bible says in Psalms, let's go on in our Bible, Psalm chapter 33. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9. Let me know when you're there by saying amen. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He did what? He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God has power in His Word. When God speaks, things come to pass. God has power. Now, when I speak, I don't have that kind of power. When I speak, things don't really come to pass. Does anyone here have a dog? Pets? Now, I love my dog, and my dog is obedient most of the time. At home, he's obedient. I say, come here, he comes. I say, sit, he sits. But when we go to the dog park, something changes. All of a sudden, he's, he, just, he just zones me out, and all my commands just go out the window. I say, come here, he will not come here. sit. He will not sit. Now, my words have no power, not even to command my dog, much less to speak stars into existence. God has the power to breathe stars into existence. God spoke, and it happened. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light, and the light was good. God created everything. He breathed the stars into existence. He made the sun, moon, and star, everything by the power of His word. There is power in God's Word, and He did it in seven days. What an amazing God, amen? Amen. That is an amazing God. But there's something very special in creation. Every day was a special day in creation. Day one, day two, all the way to day six and seven. But on the sixth day, God created something very, very special. What did God create on the sixth day? Okay? He created mankind. And previous to man, he created the animals, and he created the animals with his word. But when it came time to creating a man, God did something different. If we have our Bibles, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26. Actually, let's skip to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 27. Let's go there first. Genesis chapter 2, verse 27. Excuse me. Yeah, 126, excuse me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says Then God said, What did He say? Let us make man where? In our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, when God created man, He did something very different. Everything else that God created, he did what? How did he do it? He spoke and it came to pass. But when it came time to creating a human being, how did he do this? He formed man. Now, you can imagine this. Here's God and here's Jesus and he gets on the ground, right? And he begins to mold and fashion a man with his own hands. He begins to mold his eyebrows, his cheeks, his jawline. He even gives Adam an Adam's apple, right? And he gives him his, 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 his broad shoulders. From head to toe, God is forming and fashioning a man. But up until this point, man is not living. What is he? He's just a body. He's just a mannequin. Now, what is a mannequin? Anyone know what a mannequin is? If you ever been to a clothing department store, you have these mannequins. They are like these plastic models that you can dress with the latest fashions. Adam was just a dusty mannequin. No life whatsoever. He had a body. God gave him a body, but there was no life. Not until God added one special thing. And what was that? The breath of life. The Bible says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Now let me ask you a question. If you are going to breathe into someone's nostrils, how close are you going to be? Yeah, really close, right? Like in their face, literally, in their face. And so when God is going to breathe into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, God is in the face of Adam and he blows into him the breath of life. And then as Adam inhales for the first time, his lungs expand, his heart begins to beat, blood begins to flow through his veins, his brain waves start working, and Adam's eyes begin to open. And as Adam's eyes begin to open and they begin to focus, what is the first thing that Adam sees right in his face? The face of God. And you can imagine Jesus must be smiling, amen? And he takes Adam by the hand and he pulls him up. And he probably, you can imagine Jesus putting his arm around his shoulder and says, Adam, let's walk. Let's take a little walk. It reminds me of that song, I Come in the Garden Alone. And he walks with me. And he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And Jesus is walking with Adam and he points at the birds, he points at the flowers, he shows Adam the mango tree, he shows him all the fruits and all the beautiful things. And he says, Adam, you see those animals? Later on, you are going to give them names. And so they're walking and they're communing a perfect God, a perfect man, a perfect world, no sin. This is a perfect place, and this is God's will. Mankind was created not to suffer. Mankind was was created not to be in pain. God created man to enjoy life and to enjoy his creator, to be loved by God and to love God. And so here's mankind with a perfect God. Everything is beautiful. So we ask ourselves the question, where did we come from? And the answer is, we came from God. Now in evolution they teach we came from the monkeys, right? But what's very interesting is that the Bible says that we were created in whose image? In God's image. We were created in the very image of God. Now to say that we came from monkeys is kind of like you know, an insult to both us and to God. It reminds me of that story in Exodus where Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and while he was gone, the Israelites began to rebel and they made themselves a golden calf and they said, this is the God God who saved you, who delivered you from Egypt, this golden cow. And Sister White says that this was pretty much degrading God, and it's also degrading humanity. When we say that we came from monkeys, it's degrading God in a sense because we were created in his image, and it's also degrading us as well. We came from God, created in his image, in his likeness, to live in happiness with our creator. That's where we came from. Amen? Amen. And if we know where we came from, perhaps by faith we will know where we are going. But before we move on, I want to show you a quote here. It says, Man was the crowning act of the creation of God, made in the image of God, and designed to be a counterpart of God. Man is very dear to the God because he was formed in his own image. When God created man, this was the crowning act of creation. You could imagine all the angels rejoicing and praising God when he created human beings. This is the crowning act so now we know where we came from. The question is, where are we going? Where are we going? Now, this is a very important question that many of us are asking. Where are we going in life? What's the next step? What do I do after I graduate? Where will I live? What will happen in the next five or ten years from now? What's going to happen? It's a scary thing. But in the bigger picture, by faith, we know where we are going. The Bible says, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at verse 1. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Are we there, amen? amen. Revelation chapter 21, beginning verse 1. The Bible says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Verse four. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We have something to look forward to, amen? Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, he's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. A place where there's no more pain, and no more suffering, and no more death. This world is full of suffering. But when we get to heaven, there will be no more suffering. How many of you are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus? Amen? Now let me ask you a question. What makes heaven so wonderful? Amen. Because Jesus is there. We talked about this in Sabbath school last week, right? Because Jesus is there. That's the ultimate reason why heaven is so wonderful. It's kind of like going to a shoe store, right? You go to a shoe store and you want to get a a certain pair of shoes and you ask the salesman, I want these kind of shoes in this color, this size. And the salesman says, okay, I'll be right back. He goes to the back. He comes out and he says, I have good news and I have bad news. The, The bad news is we don't have the shoes. We don't have your color. We don't have your size. We don't have what you want. But good news is we have the box that it comes in. Do you want the box? Now, how many of you would take the box home? Nobody would take the box home. You could probably use it for something, right? Now, another scenario, he goes back, he comes out, he says, good news and bad news. Good news is we have the shoes, the size, the color, and everything, but we don't have the box. Do you still want the shoes? Yes. You still want it. And in a very similar way, Jesus is like the shoes. Heaven is like the box. If we go to heaven and Jesus is not there... What's the point? What makes heaven so wonderful is because Jesus is there. Amen? Amen. Sister White says that when God gave us his son, Jesus, he poured all of heaven out into that one gift. All of heaven was poured out into that one gift, Jesus. So the fact that Jesus will be there is what makes it so wonderful. But I think another reason why heaven will be such a great place is because everybody in heaven loves Jesus and keeps his commandments. And because they love Jesus and keep His commandments, it's a place of peace and safety. There is no... When I get to heaven, there will be mansions there, but I doubt that there will be any locks on my doors. I don't have to worry about anybody breaking in and stealing. I don't know if there will be cars in heaven, but if there are cars, I don't need a car alarm in heaven. I don't need a bike lock in heaven. Nobody will steal my things in heaven because everybody in heaven loves God and keeps His commandments joyfully, Not because they have to, but because they delight to do the will of God. But here on earth, there is suffering. Here on earth, we have to worry about theft. Here on earth, we have to lock the doors, get car alarms, and protect ourselves. Now, why is that? What makes this earth so terrible? Because of transgression of the law, which is sin, right? Because of sin, the transgression of the law... And because we love sin, we have to, you know, look out for ourselves. In heaven, everybody loves God and keeps his commandments. And the commandments say to love one another. But because this is a world of sin, we love sin. And sin is selfish. And sin takes advantage of other people. The reason why there's so much suffering in this world is because of sin. But I'll hazard a guess that if everybody in this world loved God and kept his commandments there will be a little bit of heaven on earth. So I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to a place where everybody loves God there. Everybody delights in keeping his commandments. And we have this promise. Let's go to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus gives us a precious promise that we can look forward to. John chapter 14, looking at verse 1. John 14 Verse 1, let me know when you're there by saying amen. John 14, uh, verse 1, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you for myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, and he has this promise. You know, our, our name is Seventh-day Adventists. And when you look at the name Seventh-day Adventist, it reminds us about the past, and it reminds us about the future. Seventh-day, the Sabbath, we came from God, the Creator. And Adventists, we are awaiting the soon second coming of Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We are only passing through. We are pilgrims. And we will soon be going home. So now we have established two questions. Number one, where did we come from? Well, where did we come from? We came from God, created in His image and in His likeness for His glory. Where are we going by faith? We're going to heaven by God's grace. Jesus is coming soon. But the last question and the most important question, and perhaps the one I really want us to focus and spend the most time on, is this question right here. We dealt with the past. We've dealt with the future. But what about the here and now? The question I want to ask you is, why am I here? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my calling? For such a time as this, why am I here? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm here because someone invited me to Avent Hope. Okay. Maybe you are here having hope, but on a bigger scale, what is the meaning of life? Have you ever wondered those questions? Have you ever spent some time just out in nature and just think, I mean, like, what is really this life? Stargazing, you look at all the stars, and you realize how big the universe is. Who are we human beings? This earth has approximately, what, six or seven billion people. And we think to ourselves, what is my life? How could I impact the world? Does it even matter? The average lifespan of a human being is how much? Maybe about 70, 75? Unless you live in Loma Linda, the blue zone, you probably live to be 100, right? You know, this is the only blue zone in America, Loma Linda. People live longer here in Loma Linda than in any other parts of America. Isn't that amazing? That's praise the Lord. I see a lot of people jogging, riding their bikes, eating healthy, that's a good thing. So let's say you do live to be 100. Praise God. But even so, what is life? What is the purpose? Why am I here? What should I do? And so we start to think, what can I do to make the most out of my life? And what some people do is they think, you know what? Maybe the meaning of my life is to become rich and famous, to become a celebrity, to become like a movie star or some kind of like, um, you know, superstar or something, really famous, really rich, well-loved. Is that the purpose of life? Maybe it's to make lots of money. This is the purpose of my life, to get into some kind of business and become a millionaire, become some kind of billionaire. This is the purpose of my life. Or maybe it's to go to school, get a career, and just get established. Maybe this is the purpose of life. Or maybe it's to, you know, just be on social media and just get a bunch of likes on Facebook. This is the meaning of life. Just post a lot of pictures and a lot of people like it. That's life right there. But really, what is... The meaning of life. What is the purpose? Why am I here? There has to be something greater than this. There has to be something more than just existing. What is the real meaning to this life that I have? Now, we are here in Loma Linda. You are here in Loma Linda. Does anyone know what Loma Linda means? Yeah, it means the beautiful hills. It's a Spanish term. Loma means hills, And Linda means beautiful, right? Loma Linda. So Loma Linda, the beautiful hills. Now let me argue this. I would say that Loma Linda lives up to its name only during certain times of the year. (laughs) Now, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When I was a little kid, my my parents would tell me, Jen, you are the most handsome boy in the world. I'm like, really? And as a kid, you (laughs) believe that. And then my cousins tell me, you know what my mom told me? That I'm the most <laughs> handsome boy in the world. Like, no, wait, my mom said that. <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder. But here's Loma Linda, and the, in the eyes of the beholder, we say, this is a beautiful city. The hills are beautiful, and they are during certain times of the year. I would say that it's during the times when it's raining, because the hills are hydrated. The, the, the grass is green and lush. It's healthy. I mean, some of you might even go hiking on your Sabbath afternoon hike on on the hills. I mean, it's beautiful. But then, there are other times of the year when you wonder, like, really? Is it really Loma? I mean, is it really the beautiful hills? It looks like it's dry. I mean, where's the green grass? Where did it go? It's gone. It's withered, and it's hot, and even during this time, you'll see a lot of you know, snakes. Now, I know some people can't stand to see snakes, so just close your eyes. But um, it's during the summer that we see lots of snakes. And I remember one summer, uh, my brother and I, we went jogging. It was, it was really hot, so we decided, you know what? We'll wait until the sun sets so it gets cooler, and we'll jog on the hills. So we waited until, like, golden hour, maybe around 6 or so. And we went jogging on these hills, because we're in the blue zone, we're trying to be healthy. And so we're jogging on these hills, and as we're getting done with our jog, we're coming down the hill, I was distracted, we were talking about Bible prophecy, ironically, of all things, the serpent and a dragon, and we're talking about these things, and, you know, the Bible says two are better than one, right? I didn't see it, but my brother saw it, he saw that there was a rattlesnake, and I was about to step on it. But praise the Lord, he saw it, he warned me, and I jumped so high, I could have been in the NBA. I mean, I I just jumped so high. And I just took off running. Actually, we both took off running, like, almost stepped on this rattlesnake. And someone told me that um, it's during the summer that they come out, especially during sunset, because that's when the, the little rabbits come out, and that's when they start hunting. So beware. For those of you who want to go hiking, watch for rattlesnakes. But these rattlesnakes usually come out during the summer, When the grass is withered and dry, and you wonder, is it really Loma Linda? Is it really that nice? But here's the thing I want to think about. Loma Linda, the green grass, is so beautiful. It's so vibrant. It's so healthy. It's so full of life, but only for a certain season. Then before you know it, that grass withers, it dries, and then it dies, and then it becomes the inhabitants of rattlesnakes. It makes me think about life. If you have your Bible, go with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And the Bible talks about something here. It talks about the grass. Isaiah chapter 40. we're going to look at verses six through eight. Isaiah chapter 40, verses six through eight. Are we there? Amen? Isaiah 40. Starting in verse 6. The Bible says, The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like what? It's like grass. And its loveliness is like the what? The flower of the field. How many of you here like flowers? Anyone like flowers? It's like all the ladies are raising their hands. (laughs) None of the guys. Okay. The, the, The flowers are like the loveliness, right? Verse... Verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. The grass does what? Withers, the grass withers, and the flower it fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now it's very interesting. The Bible compares us to grass and flowers. Grass and flowers. I mean, grass is green. Look at that. It's beautiful. It's nice and healthy. It's lush. Loma Linda, you, you'll be driving on the freeway, on the 10 freeway, and you look at Loma Linda and you think, wow, that's a beautiful city. That is when it's, when it's rainy season, right? And so you're like, wow, that's, that's beautiful. But then when the season is done and the sun is so hot and there's not much water, it's not as beautiful. The grass withers and the flowers, they fade away. On Valentine's Day, many flowers make the ultimate sacrifice, right? They make the ultimate sacrifice. You know, many guys give flowers to their girlfriends or to their wives, and they're pretty, they smell nice, they're colorful. But did you know that those flowers are slowly dying? Because you trim them, you clip them. And give it a few weeks or maybe even a few days, and they will fade, they will wilt, and they won't smell as nice. The Bible says you and I are like grass and the flowers. We are here today... In the prime of our lives, Avon Hope is a young adult Bible uh, Sabbath school, right? Many of us here are in our 20s, right? We are in the prime of our life, young, strong, healthy. We go to the gym, we're lifting weights, we're we're running, we're we're participating in marathons, triathlons, we're feeling good about ourselves. We look in the mirror, we think like, yes, I'm happy, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm healthy. But that prime in our lives will soon fade away. We are in the prime of our lives. We feel strong, but eventually we will not be as strong. There will always be somebody stronger than us. You might be the best-looking person in your class, but eventually you will not be the best-looking person anymore. There will always be somebody who is stronger, somebody who is faster, somebody who has more fashion. There's always going to be somebody because time goes on. Even King Solomon said, You know, vanity. Everything is vanity. Nothing is new under the sun. When we think about our grandparents, right, think about our grandma, our grandpa, and we look at them, we love our grandparents. And they're elderly. They may not walk as fast or, you know, they might be in a wheelchair. They might be even bedridden. But at one point in their lives, they, too, were like us in the prime of their lives, In their 20s, they know what it's like to go to school. They know what it's like to fall in love. They know what it's like to have a heartbreak. They know what it's like to succeed. They know what it's like to fail. At one point, they were just like us. And perhaps in their thinking, they thought, I will never grow old. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm the strongest guy in the world. I'm the best looking person in the world. At that point, brothers and sisters, they were not grandmas and grandpas. But time went on, beauty fades, strength weakens, life moves on. And we ask ourselves the question, what really is the meaning of this life? Am I just here to come and to go? Am I here in this circle of life where I'm young and single now, get married, have a family, and eventually become a grandpa, and life just starts all over? Is that the meaning of life? There has to be more than just making money, or becoming famous. There has to be something more. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, it says, beauty is vain. Why? Because beauty fades just as a flower fades. So we begin to think to ourselves, what then? What is the meaning of all this? What is the meaning of my life? What is my purpose? Is there a deeper reason for why God has put me here? Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing, you know, you know to, to, to live happy. There's nothing wrong with relationships. Nothing wrong with giving, having a career. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if these things are more important than God, then there would be a problem. Amen? Amen? There has to be something deeper to this life. We are here in this world for such a time. And so let's ask that question. What is the meaning of life? Jesus, what is the meaning of life? And he will tell us what the meaning of life is. Are you guys ready? Jesus, what is the meaning of life? Let's go to our Bibles, to the book of John. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And we are going to look at verse 3. Jesus, what is the meaning of my life? Am I here to simply just grow up, go to school, graduate, start a family, And move on. The circle, is that the meaning of life? Is it to become rich and famous? Is it to be successful? What is the meaning of life, Lord? And the Lord says, this is the meaning of life. You guys there? John chapter 17, verse 3. The meaning of life. Why you were created. Why you are here today. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. This is the meaning of life, says Jesus. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have set. That is the meaning of life. The reason why we exist is to know God and to know his son Jesus. Amen. Now, for some of us we might know what it's like to drive a, an expensive sports car, but do you know Jesus? We might know what it's like to date somebody very popular, but do you know Jesus? We might know what it's like to have lots of money in our pockets, But do you know Jesus? We might know what it's like to succeed in life and to be well-loved and to be famous, but do you know Jesus? Jesus says, this is the meaning of life, that you would know God and Jesus Christ, his son, who he has sent. That's what it's all about. Now, brothers and sisters, you might have it all, but if you don't know Jesus, it's nothing. On the contrary, you might have absolutely nothing No money, no car, no girlfriend, no family, nothing. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. You might be a simple little fisherman, but Jesus can use a fisherman to change the world, and which he did. God uses all kinds of people. He uses doctors, fishermen, tax collectors. If you'll give your life to Jesus, he can use you to turn this world totally upside down. So Jesus says, this is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to know God and to know His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, notice what the prophet says. She adds on to this in one of my favorite books, um, This Day with God. Notice what she says in the book, This Day with God, page 46, paragraph 6. This is what it's all about. She says, to possess Christ is your first work. So what is your first work? To To possess Christ. And to reveal him as one who is able to save to the uttermost, all who come to him is your what? Your next work. So you ask yourself, why am I here? What is my purpose? She says, your first work is to know Jesus. And your second work is to save souls. Tell others about Jesus. When you think about it, nothing in this world really lasts. Nothing lasts. You think about it. Like, this suit is not going to last. It's all firewood, right? My car is not going to last. We go to the gym. You know, some of us guys, you know, at Drayson Center. I see some of you guys at Drayson Center. We're there, and we're, like, we're lifting weights. We're trying to get bigger arms. And we invest in, like, you know, protein shakes. But when we die, our muscles die with us. We study so hard for an education, but when we die, our brain dies with us. We, We work so hard for fashion, but when we die, we can't take on our fashion with us. The only thing we could bring with us to heaven is our character. And that is to possess Christ. But I would dare say that there is one more thing we could bring with us to heaven, and that is the people that we win to Christ. These things are eternal. Nothing else will last. Now, does that mean that nothing else matters? I shouldn't care about, you know, you know, having dreams or goals? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this is the priority. To know Jesus and to win as many people to Him as possible. It's all about Jesus Christ. Now, I labeled this sermon the three most important questions you'll ever ask. Where did we come from? We came from God. Where are we going? By God's grace, we're going to heaven. Why are we here? To know God and to win souls. But perhaps I should change my sermon to the four most important questions that you'll ever ask, because I want to close with this question. Where are you? Now, this is a question that God asked Adam. Where are you? Now, I'm going to share with you a couple stories. A couple years ago, my friends and I decided to play a game of hide-and-seek. Now, I remember playing this as a kid, right? Have you ever played hide-and-seek before? It's a fun game for kids. But who says that there is an age limit to this game, right? And so a couple years ago, my friends decided, you know what? Let's play hide-and-seek. We're a bunch of 20-year-olds. You know, some of us in school... But who cares? Let's, let's go to Bryn Mawr Park, and it was at night, and we played. And so we chose the oldest guy to count to 100. And so he was like, what, 28 or 29? We're like, okay, you count to, to 100, and we're all going to hide. We're all in our 20s. We're all adults. And so he's counting, and we're all hiding. And so some of my friends, they, they hide behind the bush. Some hide behind the trash. Some hide up in the slide. And I thought I was the most creative. I hid myself in a tree. Like Zacchaeus went up in a tree. Except Zacchaeus climbed the tree to be seen, I climbed to be hidden. So I'm hiding this tree, and I hear my friend saying, 98, 99, 100, okay, I'm coming. And then within a few minutes, you hear laughter, you hear people saying, I see you, stop hiding, come out from there. And there's about like 10 of us, right? Maybe 10 or 15 of us, I don't remember. And so he's finding everybody, and everybody's being found out, but nobody could find me. And I'm all like, this is great, no one could find me. I have the best hiding place. And before you know it, everybody's looking for me. Like, where is Genesis? Like, Genesis, where are you? Where are you? And they're they're passing by the tree. They can't see me. And I'm all like laughing to myself, like these guys can't find me. They're taking forever. I get bored. So I start checking my Facebook, my email. My foot is falling asleep. And I'm just waiting. I'm thinking like, where are these guys? Like, what's taking them so long? And I look and I see them like all gathered and they're doing something else. (laughs) I'm thinking like, what's going on here? So I come, and I think I was in that tree for like 30 minutes or so. So I come down the tree and I say to my friends, you guys did not find me. And like, Genesis, oh, we thought you went home. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't know if that, if if I should take that as a compliment because I found such a great hiding place or an insult because they stopped looking for me. But they were asking, where are you? Because they didn't know where I was. But here's the thing. When God asked Adam, "Where are you?" God already knew. God knew where Adam was physically and spiritually. That question was for Adam to think, "Where am I? Where are you?" I know you're at Evan Hope, of course, but where are you? God is seeking you. I want to share with you one more story. In December of 2011, I went to the Philippines for the first time in my entire life. Now I'm half Filipino. And a lot of my relatives are like, you need to go to the Philippines. You can't speak the dialect. You've never been to the motherland. What kind of Filipino are you? (laughs) You need to go there. And so I decided, you know what, I will go to the Philippines. And I went with some friends for this, um, I think it was called PYC, the Philippine Youth Conference. And so I was going there, and I was super excited. I'm going to go to the Philippines, my first time out of the country. So I got my passport. You know, I got my luggage. I got everything ready. Super excited. It's December of 2011, so it's cold here. So I'm wearing a sweater, I'm wearing like this winter attire. But if you've ever been to the Philippines, it's like Hawaii, it's super hot and humid. And but I, I wasn't thinking about that. And so like I'm so excited. And I fly out to the Philippines, and it takes about 18 hours, including the layover. But here's the thing um, I didn't have a phone with me because there would be no purpose, it wouldn't work over there. So my friend told me, because he was coming from, I was coming from LAX, he was coming from San Francisco. He told me, when you get to the Philippines, because we don't have phones, I want you to meet me at this specific location. But at that time when he told me we were Skyping and I was eating at Lex, and my hands were greasy and I didn't have any napkins, so I didn't write it down. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'll just memorize that, which was a dumb mistake. I'll just memorize where we're going to meet. Well, you tend to forget things over 18 hours And plus, when you're packed like sardines on the plane, and everybody's sick, I got sick, too. And so I forgot the location. And so 18 hours later, I land at the Manila International Airport, and I think to myself, now where did he say we were supposed to meet? Like, I don't remember. (laughs) I'm thinking, well, that doesn't matter. Let me just get my luggage. I get my luggage. I'm like, okay, I don't see him. Maybe he's outside. And, you know, up until this point, everything's air-conditioned, and I'm still wearing my sweater, and I walk towards those automatic doors and as I walk those doors open and all of a sudden this heat and humidity just strikes me and all of a sudden I'm just sweating <laughs> like crazy. And I'm standing outside and I'm thinking this was a bad choice, let me go back in, but they don't let me back in because I have to go through security again. Something like this is not good. I'm stuck outside of the airports and I don't know where my friends at, I'm lost. And so I'm walking around, I'm looking. It's noisy, it's dark, it's hot, and um, cars are honking, I can't even speak the dialect. And I'm thinking like, this is not good at all. And I felt like if, if I were to shout for help, nobody could hear me. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, like, this is not good. And so I'm just walking around, and um, I go to this lady, I'm like, can you um, page for my friend? She pages, but because it's so noisy, I can't even hear the page. So I'm thinking, like, this is great. So I'm like praying, like, Lord, please provide a miracle. Help me to find my friend. And then, like, all the bad thoughts come to my mind. Like, maybe he'll forget about me. Maybe he'll be like, he'll just go to the hotel and, like, maybe he'll think I missed my flights. And I'm thinking about all the worst-case scenarios because there's no way to communicate with him. And I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm walking up and down, I'm just praying. I cannot find him. It's a scary feeling. And I was lost for about two hours. Now, two hours doesn't sound very long. But when you are in another country for the first time and you can't speak the dialect and you have no way of communicating, that feels like a very long time. (laughs) But after two hours, I hear a familiar voice. And I'm like, wait, am I hallucinating? I look up and I hear my voice like Genesis. And I see my friend and I get very happy. And I I don't know if I was walking fast or I started running, but it was in slow motion. (laughs) I was like, it's my friend. (laughs) Praise God, he didn't forget about me. And I thought he would be mad at me, but he wasn't. He was more concerned. And I praise God because this friend of mine, he has a very type A personality. Do you, do you guys know what a type A personality is? They're very determined to get from point A to point B, and nothing will stop them. <laughs> They'll do whatever it takes. I praise God that he had a type A personality because he told me, Genesis, I did not stop searching for you until I would find you. Now, I don't know if he exaggerated a little bit, but he told me, Genesis, I search every single square inch of this airport. He said, I I search inside the building, outside the building, in the parking lot, the men's restroom. Now, I think he exaggerated here, the women's restroom. (laughs) I don't know if that was true or not. He said, I went up to a bench, I saw somebody sleeping with a newspaper on their face, and I pulled back newspaper. It wasn't you. (laughs) So I put it back down. And so he's like, I searched, and he said, I would not have gone home until I found him. I praise God that that he found me. He was determined to find me. He wouldn't go home. Now, praise the Lord, because um, in in the back of my mind, I was thinking, like, worst case scenario, worst case scenario. I'll just take a taxi to the school that we're supposed to speak at. But um, praise God that didn't happen, because he would probably still be there looking for me. But um, he searched, and he did not give up until he found me. Friends, God has much more of a type A personality than that. God is seeking you. And you may not know where you're at. You might be thinking, I'm at Avant Hope, and I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I'm going. But God knows. And He knows where you are spiritually. He knows where you are in your life. And God is seeking you. The question is, will you allow God to find you? Will you allow God to take you home? Let us bow our heads. Father God in heaven, as we have seen today, we ask ourselves three important questions. Where did we come from? Lord, we were created in your image for your glory. Where are we going? By your grace, Lord, we will make it to heaven. Why are we here? We are here at such a time for this, to live for you, to to know Jesus and to win as many souls as possible. And Father, everybody here is different, but where are we, Lord? Lord, you are searching for each and every one of us. And it's my prayer, Lord, that we would allow you to find us and to stop hiding. Father, be with us, guide us in our lives, and direct us, for we trust in you. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse